Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and I am more excited than usual about our guest today. This woman has known me, and I have known her for years and years and years. I'm talking decades, y'all, because we attend the same church, and we have sang in the same choir. She's actually one of the pianists for our choir, uh, which means she's multi-talented. So not only is she a very well-renowned therapist and, and clinician, but also musically talented as well, a strong alto and, and a strong musician. And it is Dr. Valencia Wiggins, PhD, LPC. And Valencia is an assistant professor and clinical training director for the Master's in Clinical and Mental Health Counseling and the Chair of Counseling over at Moody Seminary. So if you have ever heard of Moody Bible Institute, that is her her bread and butter. Those are her people. And actually, I'll be bringing a few people, a few therapists from that camp um, as we progress through the podcast. But Valencia specializes in sex abuse, trauma, eating disorders, family issues, depression. And recently, she's been doing some work and study with respect to loneliness and isolation. And as I was working my way through these episodes, God dropped her in her in my spirit. And so I am so excited to see what she has to say for us today. So welcome, Valencia, to the show. Well, thank you, Dr. Shante. Uh, well, your inter introduction was so gracious. I'm not world-renowned, but thank you. <laughs> Hey, but um, straight out of Ohio, (laughs) y'all. I just have to say this, Shantae, when we were working on our doctorates and dissertations, you were always an encouragement because we would check in at choir rehearsal. Yes. How's the dissertation going? going? So praise the Lord, we're on the other side. Praise the Lord. And, And that's the beautiful thing. She was rooting for me and I was rooting for her because doctoral work is no joke. And I'm just so thankful that we both came out on the other side and are thriving in our fields. And so God is absolutely good. So Valencia, you had an opportunity to listen to our series up to this point and listen, listen in on what we've been talking about. And so as a clinician, as a therapist, what are some things that kind of jumped out for you in that episode or in those episodes? Well, one thing um, I remember you talking about the definition of loneliness, um, because I think we can think about it as I'm just lonely, but really when you really look at it, really just a little bit closer, we see that it's tied to to really quality and quantity of relationships. And um, the lack of those or not enough of those um, leads to this feeling and mm. um, dealing with the, the negativity of loneliness most people think about that as a negative emotion. So I remember kind of just hearing your podcast previously, you talking about that. And then also um, kind of jumping out, thinking about being lonely and adding a pandemic, what this has brought out Hello. in so many different ways. And so if you already have been dealing with loneliness, or even as you were talking about dealing with so many different things like addictions, depression, anxiety, um, that has been compounded during this pandemic. So those are some of the things that kind of stuck out to me that you were talking about in your previous podcast. So let's build on that. You said, looking at the definition, something that kind of stuck out to you was examining the quality and quantity of our relationships, how we show up in digital spaces, because sometimes we substitute digital connection for actual connection. Can you speak to that? 
Sure, actually, and, and it's interesting that you talk about that in our digital age, because you can be on social media, Facebook, whatever, Instagram and everything, and, and you can present things that are going on and it can look a certain way, life is going well, but it's only a snippet of your life and it's what you choose to put in there. So you don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes, behind those posts uh, that's happening. And so, um, and then what's interesting is someone's, if they're wanting affirmation or they're wanting connection, they can start looking at things, well, how many likes am I getting? Is, does that mean that then people really, are people seeing me? Really when I think about the likes and that's what, what's happening. And so, but there can still be loneliness going on. So again, talking about quality and quantity of relationships, think about quantity, if you want to tie that to digital, uh, the digital world would be how many friends do I have, quote friends, or how many likes. Um, and if that could be a gap in that. Well, nobody's really paying attention to me. Quality would be, are you, who are you connecting with outside of digital media? Who's in your life? Mm. That's a really good point, specifically with respect to validation and affirmation. One of the things that you said was kind of outsourcing our validation, our need to be seen and our need to be felt and and recognized to things as as simple as likes. And the trouble with that is social media is driven by algorithms. So there are people that sit in these kind of tech farms (laughs) and they craft these algorithms, which are really driven to promote revenue. And so they have algorithms for what ads you're going to see. They have algorithms for how many pieces of content you're going to see and who you're going to see that content from. And if you are any sort of brand, business, or influencer, then they really restrict that sort of content or or how people respond to you unless you're paying for it. And so from where I sit, it seems to be that there's like a real danger in outsourcing our validation and affirmation in digital spaces. That is a valid point, which we're talking about um, just interesting behind the technology, the Mm -hmm. algorithms, the money, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to generate, they're trying to generate money, you know, off of people's need for connection, you know, and and we know not that that that's that we need, because it's that bad. It, It has provided a tool that has been helpful. Even in the time of the pandemic, really technology has helped us, you know, whether it's Zoom or uh, chatting. Uh, just the other week, I had a chance with my relatives, 30 of us got on a Zoom reunion, and it was great. It was so good for all of our, our souls. So, you know, balancing those, what's healthy, what's not healthy. Which kind of brings me to the question, from your perspective, what drives the need for validation and affirmation? So this is a two-parter. So one, what is driving that need? And two, what are better ways to seek that out? Well, you know, and I, I think about it and, and, you know, starting really, I'll start at the core of it. I'm a Christian. So from the Bible, I know that God has designed us for, for relationship. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve and you see, you know, needed that person. He knew that we would need connection. Our ultimate longing, of course, is, is for Christ, for those who are believers understand that. But um, so you take that, that drive for connection, for relationship. It starts in our families. You know, we want um, love and connection with, with our parents, our siblings. So all those things are, are important. 
So that carries on into our other relationships, whether it be friendships, marriages, anything, work, work partnerships, relationships. So that, I think that that drives our need for connection, you know, starting at the core where it started at. That's interesting, especially the piece about, so I, one of the things that I say on the podcast all the time, I agree with you, is that we are hardwired for love and connection and belonging. At the same time, your statement about, you know, and it starts in the family, many people, many people have broken or estranged or strained uh, relationships and connections with family. Some people have mom issues that are yet to be resolved. Some people have dad issues that are yet to be resolved. And because those are such literally essential relationships, how does that impact the, the loneliness effect or, or specifically with respect to the quality of relationships? Because sometimes if that relationship is unhealthy, that essential relationship is unhealthy, sometimes it can have impacts on other relationships. If you haven't learned how to um, be in health relationships in your family, really, I think about in, in our, per- if we're in a perfect world, if we could learn how to be healthy in our families. So how we communicate with our fathers, our mothers, our brothers, our sisters, that can help us in how we communicate with others in the outside world. I've been looking at, and I heard you mention it, uh, Vivek Murthy's book on Together. Yes. And he has this great definition about solitude. It was really interesting to me because he said it was a state of peaceful aloneness or voluntary isolation that allows both positive and negative thoughts to surface. Developing comfort with solitude then is an essential part of strengthening our connection to ourselves and then by enabling our connections with others. But it was an interesting comment. I thought it was interesting. But then it's like, where do you learn that? You have to learn it from somewhere. Or maybe you don't learn it, which can have effects later and other issues. That's. I'm glad you brought that point out because I am a classic introvert. And actually, Valencia, I think you are too. Isn't that funny how like <laughs> how we find ourselves in these helping professions? And so we're both in education. And so we find ourselves in front of groups of people all the time. Like it is is where introverts go. That is where introverts go. And it's funny because teaching, counseling, those are the types of jobs that require what is called affective labor, affect, A-F-F-E-C-T, meaning that it requires emotional capital. It requires us to give of ourselves. We can't just go into our offices, close our doors, shut the world down and, you know, throw ourselves into spreadsheets and things like that. No, people actually expect us to show up and perform and engage. And the thing about it is I have the utmost appreciation for solitude because solitude is where introverts go to recharge their batteries when they are drained out (laughs) from extroverts and and people that we have to interact with on on a regular basis. But sometimes people have a real struggle being by themselves. Sometimes people really struggle with solitude. And I think it's important for us to make that distinction. With regard to this series, I don't think what we're saying is that you have to be with people all the time in order to thrive or that you have to be connected to people 24-7 in order to thrive. At the same time, there are some differences between isolation, which I see differently than what Valencia just described as 
solitude. So how do you see those things kind of diverging? You know, solitude is one thing, kind of this peaceful isolation that strengthens your relationship with yourself, but isolation is something different. That's a, that's a good point because solitude, this would be healthy. Solitude would be something that I purposely do. Uh, I'll give an example. There's a, like a convent around here or used to be where you can, you can sign up, you can go there, get a room and do a day of solitude. Ooh. And I've always wanted to do it, but I've always been afraid because I have to be alone for eight hours. Okay. But that would be my choice because in it would be your know, time for connection with God or things like that. But then again, that's temporary. Okay. Your solitude is temporary. Isolation can be something that you might maybe choose or not choose, depending on what's going on. We'll just take the turn of say if someone was dealing with depression. So one of the, the things with depression is a lack of energy. So you don't have the energy to interact with people or be around people. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay right here in my bed all day. I'm going to choose to isolate. You know, I can do that. So, but then, but then that's also a sign of things that are, that could be wrong, you know, whether from your mental health or emotional health, if you're choosing to isolate and to, and to stay away purposely stay away from people. So I, I, would, I would look at it kind of both that way. Solitude may be something that you choose. Isolation may, may be a sign of something else that may be going on. You could be isolated socially and you could be isolated also mentally and emotionally. Oh, okay. First of all, two things. I'm excited that Valencia mentioned depression, because that's definitely where we're going in our next series. And what are some of the the characteristics of that? I think that a lot of times we hear that word and we kind of think of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh and just very sad and, and kind of down and diminished. At the same time, you talked about this notion of emotional isolation, which is really interesting because I think that that's something that else that we do so we can show up and be present and we can check the boxes right and we can go through the motions but I think that kind of goes back to this notion of hiding in plain sight about being emotionally checked out so can you speak to that sure um it's interesting there's a um, statistic I ran across it says that two in five Americans report that they sometimes or always feel their social relationships okay we're talking about related to other people are not meaningful and one in five say they feel lonely or so, so socially isolated. So again, it's going back to relationships. How are you connecting with people? Do you know how to connect with people? What keeps you from going deeper in a relationship? Or, and it might be a lot of different things as we're starting to get and talk about mental health. That can contribute. One of the things that I hear kind of like in the subtext of what you're saying is when you keep saying quality of relationships and do you know how to connect with people? What that makes me think about is what are our expectations of people? I think one of the things that sometimes facilitates loneliness or isolation is our expectations of people. And I'll give you an example. So I am sure, I am sure you have heard the phrase, quote unquote, you complete me insert gag, right? Reflex, like, ah, you know, you complete me, my other half, you know, you, that sort of thing. And, and we're not hating on love or anything of that sort, but when you've done some of the inner work, you do come to realize that happiness is an inside job, that joy is an inside job, that those are things that you 
choose and that you facilitate. And those are things that emanate from within. But a lot of people go into relationships, friendships, romantic and otherwise, with the expectation that you are going to fill the void. You are going to fill the gap. You are going to tick all of the emotional boxes and make me quote unquote feel good. And that is a heavy burden to bear. That is, that is a lot of, of work. And so sometimes when people don't live up to those quote unquote expectations, then it facilitates fractures in relationships or isolation. Is that something that you've seen in your work where our expectations of people can be problematic? Oh, definitely. Because our expectations sometimes are based on our own needs or we feel that that's missing. Okay. Like you, like you talked about, you complete me. You know, what is it that you're looking for somebody to complete in you? Is it like acceptance of myself? Is it, um, you're going to love me regardless, but you do have to do the work beforehand before you get into any other relationship. So that can be done a variety of ways, you know, through counseling, mentoring, talking to others. And, and, and I would say, um, Shantae, as I think about that, doing the work, if you have healthy, I'll just start with friendships. Okay. I just, I just think about maybe girlfriends or, or, you know, if you have guy friends, whatever, before you can get into a, say a serious relationship or marriage friendships, you can work out some, you can work out some issues. Your friends could challenge you, um, in, in healthy ways. Your, your family, if you have a healthy family, they can challenge you in, in, in healthy ways. But those are spaces where you can do some work and that you know who you are, you know your personality, you know who you are. And it's like, so then before you go into another relationship, you won't be looking for that person to fulfill you in those, in those areas. But that takes a lot of work. But it can be done. I'm hopeful. Yes, it can be done. And I think a lot of times, one of the things that that puts pressure on relationships right from the very beginning is going into it with the expectation to get exclusively. Not to say that that relationships should not be mutually beneficial and reciprocal, but that's the point, is that each person in the relationship is contributing as opposed to one person in the relationship is outsourcing. Like, oh, I see somebody that can, as you said, fill in some emotional gaps that can can boost my self-esteem or make me feel seen or make me feel validated or make me feel heard or what or taken care of, as it were. And then when you ask them, okay, what are you contributing to this dynamic? Crickets. <laughs> the crickets start chirping, like, what? What am I giving? What you talking about, Willis? And and when we quote unquote use people in that way. I think that that also facilitates a breakdown of relationship. And, and, and I would say too, with that too, is as far as being mostly healthy, can you recognize that unhealthy pattern? Ooh. And then it's like, do I need to stay in this relationship or do I need to get out of it? Which is where things come up like codependency and things like that. But you being healthy and, and doing your own work, you're going to recognize, you know what? This relationship is not healthy. It's unbalanced. You know what? And I don't need to be in it, whatever it is. Speaking of unhealthy patterns. So one of the things that I've been doing throughout this series is on Thursday nights, having a virtual Zoom uh, support just for people to be able to process and unpack some of the things that they are dealing with in this pandemic, specifically with respect to loneliness or anxiety or what have you. 
And something really interesting came out of our last Zoom group, which shameless plug, y'all, we are meeting this week. So if you need that link, you guys, make sure you hit me up. But something interesting came out of that with respect to patterns. And it's this this cultural conditioning is what I'm going to call it. This cultural conditioning of Black women, for sure, that stigmatizes help-seeking. One of the things that we talked about was... And a lot of conversations about this have been trickling out, especially with respect to like race relations and things like that, that one model of white feminism, not the model, but a model of white feminism is built on this caricature of the damsel in distress, this woman who needs help and is fragile and you throw your coat over puddles so that she can walk over so that she doesn't sully her heels and that she is one who needs help and support and agency as opposed to a prominent and prevalent model of black feminism is built on this pillar of strength this woman who can take a licking, keep on ticking, can do the emotional regulation, can put the baby on one hip, fix dinner on the, on the other hand and bring home the bacon and serve it up in the pan. And both of those models are toxic models. Both of their models have their flaws and, and, and weak points. But specifically, when we talk about this cultural conditioning and saying, saying something like, I'm lonely, or looking at your life and saying the quality of my relationships is lacking that yeah i have all these digital connections or what have you and i might have 700 facebook friends but i feel very much alone it seems that culturally we have a really hard time saying that because for us to say that then we look like the weak damsel and we can't have that well that's, that is a good point i like you breaking down those two different types of the feminist models and and that's the lies those are the lies you know, because then that takes away the fact that we're human and that we have, that we have needs, mm. you know? So, and, and, and as we're talking about, you know, this, about loneliness, it's, it's everybody that needs relationships or you lack connection. So, it, you know, you, to put it on, okay, the black, strong black woman, you're not allowed to feel all these things if you do, or are the white, that white feminist model about, oh, you know, you're, in distress and you need help those are lies those are those are man-made and and why do we need to live up to those standards they're not even standards really but why do we need to do that i love that first of all that you mm -hmm. said that they're lies i'm gonna let you finish but we're gonna go back to that <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that's all that i would say that that's that's what goes into understanding who you are as a human being as a woman and learning that and not not let it be built on the false myths that have been put out in the society. Not only are they lies, but something that we have to ask ourselves is who does that serve? You know, like what structures in society does that prop up this, this strong black woman or, you know, the damsel in distress. One of the things that you said, which I, it seems so duh and cliche, but the fact is, is that we are human. We are human, not superhuman. And so many of us have donned the cape, right? You know, flowing in the wind and we're, we're not superwomen. And I know that that might not be the popular opinion, but when you take that on, 
it is more than you bargained for. <laughs> you know, it that that comes with so much. And that means that when you have problems or when you have struggles or when you feel lonely or you feel a disconnect or that the quality of your relationships is not sufficient, putting that that S on your chest and that cape on your back also puts you in a box that prohibits you from asking for help lest you be seen as less than the superwoman that you go around purporting to be. And so that is one of the reasons why it's it's so toxic. But I do know that there is a better way. So with respect to kind of coping, you know, with loneliness and, and how we kind of turn the ship around, how would you guide us in that direction? Well, I would say, say I'll call it the, the steps to interrupting loneliness. And um, I was looking at the study, it was by uh, John and Stephanie Capaccio, and they've done a lot of work on loneliness. And they talked about social fitness, which I thought was an interesting uh, term. But I'm, I'm going to start kind of, if I look at a continuum, I'll say the kind of lighter, maybe easier steps, then kind of move toward more um, things that might involve professional help. But first, I would say um, one of the things I talked about is making an effort to express gratitude. Um, doing something nice for someone without expecting something in, in return, choosing to share good news with others. And again, these are just small steps in how you're reaching and trying to connect with other people. You know, um, kind of moving more into, if you're doing maybe more chronic things that might be happening as effects of loneliness, I would say, you know, again, examine your current social network um, beyond social media. Uh, take the time to explore and assess what is your social support system? What does it look like in your current situation? Who's there? Who is your social support? Social media may provide a venue to connect with others, but it doesn't replace the benefit of face-to-face -face contact with other human beings. So keep building. Or, or rebuild your social support system. Look at that. I I tend to be hopeful and, and believe that everybody can have a social support system. Yeah, do the work. Next is walk into the loneliness. Don't try to avoid it. Everybody will experience loneliness at some point in their lives. So the tendency to avoid the feelings of loneliness in unhealthy ways may lead to unhealthy coping patterns. So the time of loneliness can provide an opportunity to kind of reassess your emotional, spiritual, and physical health in your current situation. Next, I would say, and important, if it's chronic, you're starting to do depression, anxiety, seek professional help. There are so many things that are available as far as professional counseling, support groups. There are so many um, counseling centers that are offered even now, virtual support groups, because we're in this time of, of a pandemic, that's available to you. Some are free. Seek those things out. I've seen where there's been certain stars, I won't promote them on, on your show, Shante, but just uh, who have <laughs> offered, um, though I'll just say these are out there, who have offered to pay for free teletherapy. So seek those out. Another thing I would say is develop your own wellness plan. I use a, a tool with my clients. It's called The Wrap. It's the Wellness Recovery Action Plan. And this tool, what it does is help identify healthy coping tools, identify things that are maybe upsetting events, and then developing a plan to 
to deal with those those triggers and those things. And so you have this tool to use. It's very helpful. I use that a lot. But um, those would be some of the things I would say as well, too. And I, I just want to just one note just about if someone is even in the depths of depression and feeling suicidal, there are things that you can reach out for help as simple as a text. NAMI, the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, they offer a crisis text line. You could text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741, and you'll immediately be connected with a crisis counselor. So these are some of the things I would say with coping and dealing with loneliness and the things that come with that. I'm sitting up here. So every now and then I do the, the, the neck roll, you know, the, mm-hmm, yeah, child. So while, of course you couldn't see all that while you were talking, but man, you dropped some major gems with respect to how to move forward. And I love that you used a continuum. Like, so here's some little things that you can do, but here are some of the more significant ways that you can work towards that. And I want to land in this place of your social support system. Because also one of the things that came out in the group is that a lot of us do not have social support system. We have quote unquote friends, but not quote unquote those kinds of friends. Meaning there's friends that you might he, 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 and key, key, key with on social media. There might even be friends in your lives that you've known for, for years and years and you all can go out for drinks. You all can go to the movies. You all can hang. You might even have a group chat. But when it comes to something heavy and emotional, somehow that's where the buck stops. You know, if somebody has a death in the family, you know, you guys will rally around and send flowers or a dish or, or money or what have you. You'll do that. But when it comes to that emotional heaviness, all of a sudden, all the walls go up and we don't seem to, to feel like we have those kinds of, of social supports. And so what Dr. Valencia is saying, you need to kind of look at your social support system and say, who is here for me? Who do I feel comfortable with being able to share some of these feelings that I'm having? And if you don't have one, then that means that there's some additional work that needs to be done. One of the things that I teach, and I know that Valencia teaches, and is really kind of one of the bedrocks of therapy, is this notion of metacognition. And metacognition means thinking about your thinking, thinking about your thoughts. And so if you are at all familiar with the story uh, Christmas Carol, which I go to see in some way, shape, or form every year, Christmas Carol, and how Ebenezer Scrooge is able to step outside of his life and look at his past and look at his present and kind of get a glimpse of his future. When we're talking about think about your social supports and think about the people in your life, that is your opportunity to be your own Ebenezer Scrooge, to just kind of step outside of your life for a minute and really start to look back at some things and say, hmm, here are some things here that I did not notice before. Because in Ebenezer's story, there were some significant events that happened in his past that facilitated him being the mean, stingy, misanthropic person that he turns out to be at the beginning of the, of the story. But there were some things in his past that triggered that. And so that's one of the things that you have to do is kind of look back and say, what are some things that happened in the way back when that may have facilitated this? And then also looking at the present, what are some things happening right now that are facilitating this? And Valencia, I would love to get your thoughts on this. So one of the things, it's interesting. Some of you may have seen this circulating. I guess this is kind of cropped up with Juneteenth uh, having recently passed. 
it's this notion of, of building wealth in the community. And so someone sent me some information about an African or Caribbean susu. And a, I don't know all the ins and outs, but essentially what it is, is that there are basically 15 people in this circle or in this community. And the person at the beginning of the circle, everyone on the outside of the circle or at the outer rim of the circle sends that person, let's say $500. And so that person gets a payout of basically this $4,000. And when they get their $4,000, they take it and put $500 back and they pay it to the next person whose turn it is in the circle. And the whole concept is basically that this is the way that people will, will build wealth in this country. And this is how many uh, collectivist cultures, even Asian cultures have done this to establish their businesses, that people will come in, they will invest in that person's well-being or their dream or what have you financially, and everybody gets a turn so that everybody not only is able to establish their business, but they keep the money rotating within the circle and it just grows and grows. And one of the things that I said in our Zoom support group is that we need to start looking at that from an emotional perspective, that in our social support network, is everybody contributing? <laughs> you know, does everybody get a turn in the center where that person's emotional well-being is supported and valued as opposed to everybody just kind of coming in with their own me, myself, and I mentality? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's an interesting concept, but I like... I'll send it to like you. you. Okay, what is it? <laughs> I like you comparing it to uh, an emotional support circle because it's funny, as you were talking, I was thinking about, like, if you look at circles, you know, like the smallest circle, realistically, we're only going to have deep, deep relationships with about two to three, four people, people that right. you absolutely trust. And then you kind of go out that circle, you know, there might be um, some other people that you may interact with more. And then, of course, you know, get out to your acquaintances. But I, I would look at who, who's in your small circle, you know, who are like those three or four people that, you know, that you can share your heart to heart, you can get real with, and building and strengthening those relationships, which can help you build other relationships. I love the fact that you're doing a Zoom group after, after your uh, podcast, because that may be the beginning for someone who hasn't learned how to connect yet. It, it could start there. Maybe out of that group might come some close friendships, people that they can build on. So just great that you're providing that space. That's what I think I do. But I do like that picture about that uh, building the wealth. And build the wealth and, and build the emotional support. So yes. Dr. Valencia, are you taking clients right now? If people want to connect with you, if they want to get in on the wrap, on the wellness recovery action plan and all that good stuff, because I know that you're doing private practice as well, but COVID has facilitated a lot of people to kind of go online. So if people want to connect with you, what is the best way to do that and, and benefit from your expertise? Sure. I am taking clients. I, I work part-time in a place called Meyer Clinics, and that number is 630-653-1717. You'll be connected with the intake coordinator and you'll ask for me, Dr. Valencia Wiggins, and they can connect you with me. So I am seeing clients right now. Um, I am doing telehealth right now. So until we can get back into our offices uh, during this pandemic, uh, but that's one way they can connect with me through that. Also, you can hit me up on Instagram at Valley Coast Travel. And then my email, I don't mind giving that out, is uh, drvwiggins at gmail.com. 
And there you have it, folks. One of the things that I always want to try to do is to provide pathways and portals for you to connect with professionals because that is not my lane. God bless you all, but <laughs> that is not my lane. And I have a healthy respect for therapists and clinicians and people that help you dig into some of that work because ultimately this is a podcast about wellness and at the end of the day I want us to be what God has called us to be which is whole and complete lacking nothing so thank you so much Dr. Valencia for dropping these gems with respect to our conversation in our series on loneliness and listen listeners if you guys have any questions comments takeaways you can hit me up at dr shante says you can hit up dr valencia you can reach out to her directly she even gave y'all her email address y'all now that's that's saying something <laughs> okay she she's giving you all her email address and if you want to sign up for the zoom group then you know you can reach out to me info at believingbigger.com or you can hit me up on social media at dr shante says and i will see you guys next time <laughs>